Welcome back to Affiliated. Happy listener, wherever. I hope you're in the car. I hope you're driving and listening to this nice voice coming at you. This is Thomas McMahon from ClickBank. And I've got one of my favorite people right now joining us for a pretty cool podcast I'm excited to dive into. We're going to be getting nerdy with some data, but how you can actually apply it to your business and improve tremendously. We're coming at you with the man with two first names. This is Tyler Ryan, the CEO and founder of LTV Numbers. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm actually the man with three first names. My middle name is John. So take no that. way. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, John Ryan. Yeah. Okay. I, I imagine your parents are just like, we don't know which one to go with. We'll just go use all three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Three simple first names, all five letters or less. Make it nice and easy. Oh, hey, I, we're actually, we're both TJs. So, hey, we got that going too. That's true. I'm, I'm Thomas go. Joseph. We got Tyler John. That's hilarious. Okay. Three first names. I'll have to reshoot that intro. That's awesome. Yep. (laughs) But Tyler, thank you for hopping on here. We've known each other for a while now and you've started making some waves recently, getting out there a bit more and marketing your awesome business, which I'm stoked for our listeners to learn from you about. But can you just give us a quick rundown of your awesome background and what you're doing with LTV numbers? Absolutely. So I got started way back as a NASA software engineer. I was working on spacecraft applications to help the spacecraft engineers design and build the actual spacecraft to go to Mars. I worked at the Jet Propulsion <laughs> Laboratory. So that's the place where all the Mars rovers are built out of. So because of that, I had this incredible experience working very deep in data science, in spacecraft engineering. And you can imagine the level of precision that it takes to get a rover to land on Mars within a foot of its target landing spot. I mean, talk about knowing your numbers, right? I mean, there's no higher standard in my mind than that. (laughs) So I saw that firsthand and that was where I really learned what it means to know your numbers. Because like I said, I can't imagine a higher standard than pulling off something like that. It's a type of effort that requires all 5,000 people that work at JPL. And I was in the auditorium when Curiosity landed on Mars and the first pictures came back and everyone just burst into tears crying. Because that's, that's the effort of a lifetime. You know? And so I was very privileged to see that up close and personal. And my goal was to find a way to take this background that I had and apply it to the world of online business. Because I always wanted to have my own company to work in this space. But I was just an engineer that didn't know the first thing about how to run a business. So I threw myself into masterminds and coaching programs and just did trial by fire. You know, I tried to start a software company couldn't get it off the ground and realized just how difficult it was to build a business. And it wasn't until I spent a few years building out websites, building out sales funnels for a funnel agency that I built called Fit Funnel Guys, that I saw just how much of a problem data was in the online business world. Because I didn't know this coming in. I kind of thought all this stuff was pretty well established and well solved at this point. But what I kept seeing was questions related to customer lifetime value, how much I can afford to spend to acquire a customer. And that question in so many different forms became a theme over the course of about two years until I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And I thought, man, this is something that I can solve. I have the background to solve it. I have all the technical chops to solve it. I just need to understand exactly what the core problem is. And what I realized is that it all boils down to a single question, which is how much can I afford to spend to acquire a customer? That question is so fundamental Yet it's so notoriously difficult to answer when you start to get into the depths of internet marketing. You start to run with 5, 10, 50 different affiliates. You have Google traffic. You have Facebook traffic. 
you have 50 different products, you have 10 different sales funnels. There's not just one answer to the question, how much can I afford to spend to acquire a customer? It's like, well, for which affiliate? For which product? For which funnel? Yeah, for which traffic source? Why does it get so hard? Because I imagine a lot of people just kind of do the, oh, I have this much revenue divided by this many customers in the time frame. My LTV is X. Why is that a problem to kind of do it that way? So unpacking the metric of LTV is something that's really important for us to do here. Because I think a lot of people think of LTV as this single number that exists in their business. And it's exactly like you said, how many customers do I have? What's the total revenue across all those customers? Divide the two numbers and I get, you know, $100, right? But when you really think about it, you can't do anything with that number because there's no time component attached to it. You're just looking at the life of the business, you're doing global averages, and you're losing all of the actionable insights in doing so. So think about it like this. It's very simple to prove that that number is useless. If I sell one product for $200, and I sell another product for $50, and I average everybody out, and the LTV is 100, what does that tell you about how much you can afford to spend to acquire the $200 customer? That's a Nothing. little... <laughs> right? Because yeah. obviously, you can spend more than $100 to acquire the $200 customer. The problem becomes when you average everything out and you combine everything together, you lose the utility of the metric. So in order for it to be something that you can actually use, you must be able to break it down at a product level, at a funnel level, at a traffic source level, and at an affiliate level for right. the reasons that I just described. What, now, what the next the level of it... Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I want to ask, like, what are the problems or issues that run into someone who might be doing their LTV calculation that way or the, the bad way? The problem is you start to make decisions based off of bad information. So for example, if you use the example that I just gave before of I have one funnel that has an AOV of $200, I have another funnel that has an AOV of $50. You do your global LTV calculation, my global LTV is $100. If you then take that $100 number and go to the media buying team or the person in your business, who's spending money to acquire those $200 customers, and you say, hey, I can only spend 100 to acquire this customer, they're gonna look at you like you have two heads. It's like, what are you talking about? You're making $200 on every sale. Why can I only spend $100 to acquire these customers? And as soon as you set your customer acquisition cost target lower than you could actually spend, the amount of customers you're gonna be able to acquire is gonna go down significantly. We've all heard the phrase, the business that can spend the most to acquire a customer wins. Well, if you're undercutting what you could actually spend by 50%, I can tell you that you're not undercutting the scale by 50%. It's more like 10x what yes. you could actually yeah. be doing if you could spend twice as much to acquire a customer. So ultimately, figuring out how much you can afford to spend comes down to being able to determine what that number actually is through the right approach to LTV analysis. And the first step of that is being able to break it down, like I said, at the product, funnel, traffic source, and affiliate level. And then it gets you into part two of that, which is LTV is not a static number. There's a value at the first day that a customer buys. We usually call that our AOV, right? But then when that customer buys again, 30 days later, 60 days later, 90 days later, that $200 AOV turns into a $220 LTV at day 30 and then a $240 LTV at day 60, and on and on and on. 
And the real number that you need to know is not 200. You need to know that you're making $250 for every customer that you acquire by let's say day 60 of the customer journey. So LTV has two dimensions. It's for what thing, what product, what funnel, what traffic source, what affiliate. And it's also at what day in the customer journey. Is it the first day they buy? Is it seven days after they buy? Is it 30 days after they buy? 60, 90, 180? And then we need to talk about once you know all of that, how do you make sense of those numbers to decide what to do about it? And that's where all the nuance comes from. But most businesses, in my experience, don't have that level of visibility. So we can't even have this conversation in the first place. And that's step one, yeah. get the visibility. Yeah, because yes, I've seen people calculate LTV a number of different ways from that very simple way we describe, right? Just number gross revenue divided by customers and all that to very complex Excel sheets, which I think a lot of people rely on as they start diving into this. Like, oh, we'll get someone on Excel monkeys to kind of jump in and pull a bunch of data and kind of calculate rebuys. Where where do you see the mistakes being made with like that manual piece? Like, hey, we're going to pull in data, use Excel and try to hope this spits out something that seems very accurate. Right. Usually where the pitfalls are is number one, because you're trying to make all this work inside of Excel spreadsheets or Google Sheets, it really limits how deep you can go on this analysis because the bar gets higher and higher for how technically competent you need to be to be able to pull off that analysis in a spreadsheet interface. And you will hit a level where you essentially need to be writing code to work with the data inside the spreadsheet to get to the type of analysis that I'm describing, where you have LTV at every single day of the customer journey for any product, any funnel, any traffic source, and any affiliate. So you start to hit the limits of what you can do in that environment, even if you have the technical chops to be able to pull it off, because it's just not actually the right environment to go to this level of depth. So you hit the limits on the platform. Then the second thing is even if you pull that off within the spreadsheet ecosystem, it's probably not fully automated. And there's probably a lot of manual legwork required to maintain this, to keep it up to date. And that by itself creates latency and it creates a lack of utility because you're always working with data that's seven days old, 14 days old. Maybe you only do this once a month because it takes you five hours and you got someone on your team doing it who's not really a super technical person. And so once they get the data uploaded, you're still not 100% sure that it's correct. And so you get stuck in this weird data limbo where you're like, I have the data, the analysis is okay, but I'm not 100% sure that I trust it. When you're in that zone, it's hard to really feel good about making decisions off of that information. And it becomes a lot of work just to maintain what you already have. So it's a tough place to be. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's either I hear people, they don't know LTV, they're calculating it that basic way or like, oh yeah, we did this in Excel. We have a pretty good number. It's like, uh, I kind of doubt you do. You probably have a somewhat accurate number, maybe depending on your biggest traffic source, but you're probably not really be able to drill into it. What are people able to do? I think you've alluded to it when they're able to do this LTV by, you know, X parameter by traffic source, by product, by affiliate, whatever it might be paired with a time frame. Like what are they able to do that they're not able to do otherwise? So let's talk specifically about the affiliate use case first. The main thing that we're looking to do as a vendor that has affiliates running traffic to our offers is we're trying to figure out how much we can pay in commissions 
to those affiliates, right? Fundamental challenge. The answer to where do I set my commission lies in all of the LTV data that we just talked about. So if you can get to the point where you know the LTV at day zero, at day seven, at day 14, 30, 60, 90, and so on, for each affiliate that sends you customers, you now have exactly the information you need at a per affiliate level to decide how much you can pay in commissions. Because if there's one thing that I've found to be a fundamental truth is not all affiliates are created equal, right? <laughs> some, some send you high quality customers, some send you low quality customers. Some send you customers that buy again. Some send you customers that buy and immediately refund. This is just a yeah. fundamental truth. So if you can't high quality and low quality, right? Yeah. Some are spending a bunch of money through your funnel. Some are spending the bare minimum. Some are right. refunding on either side of that, right? So yeah, it can be a pretty big swing as far as your average order value and or lifetime value of those customers from specific affiliates. Exactly. So come back to what I said in the beginning. If you have not two different products, but you have two different affiliates. One sends you customers that spend $200. The other sends you customers that spend $50. Do you think you should be paying those affiliates the same commission? No. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can't separate it out, you wouldn't even be able to have that conversation, right? If all you can see, for example, are number of customers and total revenue, you can do your best to try and figure some of this stuff out from an AOV standpoint, but as soon as you start getting into the nuances of what do they do 30 days after purchase, 60 and so on, we wanna be able to go back to our affiliates and say, hey, you're not only sending me a good volume of customers, but these customers are so good, I wanna raise your CPA by $5, right? Or I wanna take your rev share from 75% to 80%. When you can have those conversations with confidence, because you know the LTV of the customers that that particular affiliate sends you, that does wonders for that relationship. And you can bet that if you can keep coming back to them with higher payouts because they're sending you good customers, and then there's a whole other piece of this, which is you're doing a good job of monetizing them on the back end. That's a conversation for, for later in this, in this discussion. Then you can keep building that relationship with the affiliate, keep giving them reasons to send you more traffic. And we know, like we said not too long ago, if you can spend more to acquire customers, you will win. And this is how you do it. You get the information to tell you how much you can actually spend, which is always going to be more than your AOV if you're doing a good job from an LTV standpoint. And now you can strengthen the relationship with those affiliates and keep commanding more traffic until you become the person that can spend the most to acquire a customer. And when you do that, you get into this wonderful place where you have very little competition and your scale ceiling is extremely high. And that's how you build a scalable affiliate program that can then turn around and expand to cold traffic on platforms like Facebook and Google and YouTube because you have the LTV data to back it up and know what you'll be able to spend when you go over to those platforms. But you got to have that foundation in place first. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because I think what you hit on there, I think a lot of our clients at ClickBank think they're doing that, right? Like, oh, yeah, we're going to negotiate with this media buyer affiliate and they want 160 whatever dollars and we can pay them up to that okay we'll wait for the data to come in and check but almost all of them i'm pretty sure are doing day zero right they're looking at what are, what are they driving day zero um, on average okay we can float that or we can't or we're comfortable being a bit negative because we think we're going to make it back right but i know very few of them are actually looking at that affiliates customer 
size and lists and going, okay, what are we actually profitable at day 14, 30, whatever, right? And seeing, can we go back and improve or do we need to renegotiate the other way, right? Are we overpaying some affiliates? Right, absolutely. Because protecting the integrity of your offer by having the visibility to know that this batch of affiliates here is sending you customers that they're buying, but then they don't buy anything else or they have a very high refund rate. And you see that in a dip in the LTV after the initial sale. To be able to identify that is critically important because it's just as important which affiliates are running your offer as it is how much you're paying those affiliates. Simply by removing yes. the ones who are sending you low quality customers or at least paring back on their traffic, that goes a long ways to helping with the offer reputation helping with those stats that you're going to be presenting to other affiliates who you want to go after, and just giving you confidence to know that this funnel as a whole is producing good customers and not, you know, 50% of the customers I acquire are in this low quality bucket with high refund rates that's driving down all of the metrics that matter on the back end of the business. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine you are able to kind of aggregate it a bit, right? Like if you see like your, Hey, the, as a whole, affiliates are driving this LTV, right? But drilling into it specifically, you might find that your biggest affiliate is almost floating other affiliates to be able to run, right? Like, hey, their LTV is a positive, it's looking good. There's like our mid-tier affiliates or bottom affiliates are actually driving decent volume, but they're negative LTV for a longer mm -hmm. period of time. We're able to float that and we don't have to hamstring them as much because these big affiliates are running if that big affiliate changed or if they left, now you're gonna have to look and go, okay, do we still need to focus on these small affiliates? Do I have to pair things back? So I guess, yeah, it's like, yes, you might have an aggregate level of data and look at things at aggregate level sometimes, but being able to go into that specific why you're able to do that really unlocks a lot of confidence really, right? That's right. I mean, ultimately you need both levels of visibility and detail. You need to be able to look at the offer level and you need to be able to look at the individual affiliate level. Being able to look at the offer level allows you to have a, a global baseline to compare any individual affiliate to. So if you know that my average LTV for this particular offer is, let's say, $150 at day 30, but then I have half my affiliates where that number is 200 and the other half where that number is 100, it gives you a clear line of demarcation. Where are the affiliates that are outperforming the average? and the ones who are underperforming the average. Yeah. But once again, if you don't have both levels of detail, doing that analysis becomes very difficult. And without clear visibility, it's oftentimes easier to just do nothing because you don't wanna make the wrong choice because you can't make that decision with confidence about where to set individual affiliates commissions. But when you crack yeah. that, it unlocks a whole new level of scale for your affiliate program and just gives you way more confidence as, as the business owner that I'm not holding my breath when I walk over to my affiliates and say, I'm going to raise your commission by $5 because you know that it works. You're not afraid yeah. that yeah. if I do this and I, I have to do it across all my affiliates because I don't know, I think I can afford five more dollars, <laughs> but you're doing it for everybody. Now you're holding your breath because you're not sure if this is going to work. You just I know a lot of have something yeah. to be able to go to your affiliates mm -hmm. to be able to get them excited about. Right. Which I totally understand. Well, I can just see like how much better uh, affiliate manager could operate with this data, right? If you could actually pare down and go, Hey, our best performing affiliates from a top line scale perspective and a healthy LTV perspective are these types. They're running this type of traffic. 
they're operating this kind of way that helps me as an affiliate manager and a salesperson go, okay, how do I go find more of those specific types of affiliates and onboard them? Right. And it's, yeah, I can start hunting much more accurately than just trying to onboard any affiliate. I can go chase the ones that are going to be most profitable to me on a commission basis and for the company I'm working for. Absolutely. And as an affiliate manager, we know how important the relationship aspect of this game is to be able to have the confidence to go to your top affiliates and make them feel special and to let them know that you're going to start paying them a higher commission that they didn't even ask for simply because you know your numbers yeah. well enough to have that conversation. That builds up a tremendous amount of goodwill over time. And as an affiliate manager, that's an exciting conversation to be able to have. And you want to be able to build those relationships through great conversations like that with your top affiliates. But if you're hesitant because you don't know for sure if it's going to be okay, oftentimes you just don't change your commissions out of fear and uncertainty. And that doesn't do any good for you or for the affiliate because they have no reason to keep thinking about you if you don't have the ability to confidently go back to them and say, hey, we're gonna bump your commission even if, even if it's just by a couple dollars because we know that the math works out, gives you a reason to reach out to them, gives you a reason to strengthen that relationship. And that's wins all around for everybody. Yep. And on the flip side too, it helps you negotiate and say no more tactically, right? And so if someone's hitting you up right away going, hey, we need this CPA to run this, you go, well, hey, we can start you at X. And after 14, whatever time frames you usually see a bump in your LTV, right? We can look at this again and see what we can get you to. But until we have customer data coming through, right, this is what we can operate with. People are a bit like, and then if they say no at that, then fine. But most people are like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. And you've got logic to stand on than just going, uh, I don't think we can do that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and if I can, I just want to, I really want to motivate this for everybody to drive home why this is so important beyond everything that we've just talked about. The reality is that only about 1% of businesses have this visibility. And I, I want to tell you a, a quick story. I was at an event about four years ago, listening to a guy named Joel Marion talk about how to scale your business 10 times bigger, 10 times faster. And if you, you don't know Joel Marion, yeah. <laughs> he built BioTrust, a supplement company, to about 150 million in revenue in 18 months. I mean, think about that. I want to do that. Pretty good scale. Yeah. Not no bad. kidding. <laughs> so he's, giving, he's starting off this talk, and we don't really know what the method is that he's going to be describing. So he pulls the room of about 400 internet marketers and goes, how many of you know your average customer lifetime value? That single number that we talked about earlier, right? Total number of customers, total revenue. What's the, the average global lifetime value? And out of the 400 people, about 50 raised their hands. He was like, okay, not bad. Now, how many of you know your average customer lifetime value at day zero, 30, 60, 90, and 180? So now you can see how it changes over time. And there was maybe 15, 20 hands left at that point. He goes, okay, not bad. Now, how many of you know your average customer lifetime value at day zero, 30, 60, 90, and 180 for each product, funnel, traffic source, and affiliate? And there was only four hands left in the entire audience. And that stuck in my mind because it literally went from 400 down to four, which was 1% of the room. And he asked each of them, how big's your business? $15 million. How big's yours? 25 million, 35 million, 50 million. And he just goes, I'm not surprised. 
And then he goes on to give this entire talk where the whole punchline of how he grew the business so fast was he knew the answer to that last question better than anybody else. What's my LTV at day 0, 30, 60, 90, and 180 for each product, funnel, traffic source, and affiliate? That's why I yeah. keep saying that over and over again. Because if you can answer that question better than anybody else, you can be a part of that 1% of the room. And if you're a part of that 1% of the room, you have a tremendous advantage over every other one of your competitors who's operating in the same space, trying to pay the same CPAs, and you're fighting for traffic. If you know this, you can pay 10% more, 20% more. And when you do that, you're not going to get 10% more customers or 20% more customers. You're going to get 50% more customers, 100% more customers. And you eventually, like I alluded to earlier, you get into this territory where no one else can spend as much as you, or at least very few businesses can. And what's amazing is you work through this high competition zone where everyone can pay the same CPA. Then you get up into this upper tier. And now guess what happens? Everyone wants to run your offer because you're paying the most attractive CPAs. You actually have less competition and you have more excitement around your offer. And what's amazing is when you get into that territory, expanding the cold traffic becomes very, very straightforward because you already know how much you can spend to acquire customers. You already have presumably a strong backend LTV growth because you can pay so much. And all of these things raise your scale ceiling significantly, 5X, 10X over the other businesses who are in your space. And that's how you end up with these $150 million companies selling the exact same types of products as you. You're like, I'm <laughs> yeah. struggling to crack a million. These guys were doing 150. What's the difference? Our products are similar. Our marketing is similar. It's how much they can afford to spend to acquire the customer. And that comes down to knowing that number in the first place, and then what we need to talk about soon here, which is how you increase the LTV of your customers after you acquire them so that you can afford those higher CPAs. And that's the whole yeah. second half of this, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah, let's dive into that. Because it, well, I just want to say too, it's, it's on the flip side as well. If you have this number, if you have these numbers for your own internal media buying and just for your own customer acquisition, right? Like how much more confidently can you launch to affiliates knowing that you can pay a competitive CPA right? versus someone who's guessing kind of thing, right? So if you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is our, this is what we do to cold traffic. This is what we do on Facebook, YouTube, et cetera. Like someone at ClickBank can look at that and go, great. You know, either you're in the good ballpark to pay aggressive commissions and kind of be in a good, really good spot, or actually your LTV kind of probably needs to come up a bit, or you need to be able to increase your CPA. Like we can look at that data much more accurately than just guessing and going, well, what's your AOV? Hopefully it's okay. Yeah. Now we back into it. So, <laughs> Hopefully yeah. there's some growth on the back end after that, but not really knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Whether it's so, yeah, going so, from paid traffic to affiliate traffic or vice versa, it's the same fundamental question that you got to be able to answer. And that's how much you can afford. Yeah. I I am curious, before we dive into the how to increase LTV, like what, um, what do you say to the people who are going, well, yeah, they know those numbers because they are already big or they, they're big. And so they're able to get those numbers. I'm small. I've got one or two products. Like I don't have time to go figure out all this LTV stuff. Like I just need to focus on conversion rate optimization, right? Or whatever it might be, or just getting more traffic. Yep. Like at what point is it like, no, you really need to get this data ASAP. Is there a point in revenue, a point in scale? Is it, there is no too soon? Like where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah, I think there is somewhat of a minimum threshold in that if you don't even have an offer that can convert well enough to sustain traffic, 
then solve that problem first, right? You need to at least be at a baseline level where you can consistently command traffic, even if you're not the most competitive CPA in the space, right? If you can't get sales on the front end at all, then there's no point in us talking about LTV and things on the <laughs> Yeah, there's no LTV to calculate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. some good rules of thumb are if you're consistently acquiring at least 50 or so customers a day, right? So you do have steady sales. It's not like you have a burst of a few days where you make sales and the traffic goes away. And then you go, <laughs> you hunt and you find more traffic and then you get another burst and the traffic goes away. You need to be at a point where there's consistency in sales, whether you're driving those yourself from paid channels like Facebook or Google or from affiliate traffic. Once you have consistency in sales over that approximate threshold of, let's just call it 50 orders a day. Now, this is where I would make the case that you would be better off improving the LTV and getting clear visibility into that number than you would just trying to push the scale button. Okay, and here's why. You will find yourself stuck at that level of traffic fighting to bump up to a new plateau indefinitely because you can't confidently spend more to acquire customers. So you're early on, you're setting your CPAs at what you feel like is the best you can do at this point in time. But there are other people who are selling very similar offers who are commanding way higher CPAs, right? Because you can't confidently put that number out there, you're going to hit a scale ceiling very quickly. That scale ceiling, you'll hear me say that phrase a lot, is determined by how much you can afford to spend to acquire a customer. That's the most direct correlation with how high you can scale. If you can put some time and attention into building out a solid backend for that volume of customers that you are acquiring, get that AOV that starts at $100 and then build from there up to $110 LTV, $120, $130 and get the visibility on that because it will be easier when you only have one product to do all of this math, right? Get the visibility on that, build out a good backend and then that will unlock the capability to increase your scale. And think of it like this iterative cycle where this is the best I can afford to spend right now but I also have no backend. Now I build out yeah. a decent backend to raise the amount of money that I can afford to spend to acquire a customer by way of increasing the LTV. Now I take that higher level, come back over to the front end and raise my CPAs. Now I'm getting more competitive with my peers in the space. And now I can command 75 sales a day instead of 50. More data to come in to optimize that backend. Okay, we get our LTV a little bit higher. Come back around. Now the CPA goes up another $10. If you go like that, yeah, it's like that one percent better every day mindset, right. right? Like if you get one percent better every day, you have exponential growth. Yeah, and so then you don't end up on this hamster wheel of trying to acquire traffic, where it's like every time you get a new affiliate, you can really only command one drop or so because you're just not competitive enough to be able to ask for more traffic in the future because there's other people who can spend more than you. So it's worthwhile investing in building out a nice customer journey that's conducive to increasing LTV so that you can get your CPAs more competitive earlier on in the life cycle of your business and then grow from there with a journey that can continue to be optimized and a front end that can further be optimized to acquire more customers and increase the conversion rate. All of those things added up are going to get you there faster in the long term 
And I don't want you to become one of these businesses, which I hear a lot, where it's like we did 10 million in top line sales, but we made like $300,000 in profit. That's yeah. the hamster wheel of the affiliate world, right? Because you don't make any money on the sales that come in and there's very little back end. So you're just constantly affiliate hunting, <laughs> but you never actually make any money. You'd be way better right. off yeah, like doing 3 million in top line sales with a higher profit margin, right? Fewer affiliates, fewer people sending you traffic, but that traffic can be properly monetized. And then you can build from there a much stronger foundation than trying to race to catch up when the affiliates have already sent you the traffic They've already received your low payout and they're kind of on to the next thing. And you got no ability mm -hmm. to come back to them and say, do another send for me. It's like, well, why? All these other offers are able to pay me way more for the exact same thing. Or yeah, so or equal. Go. So it's just like, okay, we'll slot you in when we can, but it's not really compelling, exactly. right? Yeah, if you have the data to back it up. Yeah, that's right. Well, no, great answer. Thank you. Let's dive into how you can actually increase lifetime value of the customers you're acquiring. Because I think you've got some great insights into that. Absolutely. So what I have found in, in my experience, I, I've seen a lot of sales data across a lot of different industries, many different platforms, business models. I mean, we've had over half a billion dollars worth of sales data come through our desk and I've personally analyzed all of it. So I know what good customer journeys look like. I know what good LTV curves look like. I know what good returning customer rates look like. And what I have found is the industry standard is a very low returning customer rate, which results in a very low LTV growth curve. And that is what gets you on this hamster wheel of customer acquisition. You're always pushing to acquire what more. Is, what is a returning, yeah, what's the returning customer rate? So the returning customer rate, this would be the number or the percentage of customers who buy from you again after they make their first mm. purchase. So customers who, who place at least one more order after they are acquired uh, on the front end. Okay. So, is that, and then, sorry, is that talking, is that just like people on recurring product subscription things? No. Or is it code, like, is it rebuys or cross sales? This is, this is people who actually go back and place another order. So okay. it means that gotcha. they're actually making a conscious buying decision to come back and buy from you again. This is what really is the biggest driver of LTV growth. And in answer to your question, most businesses leave a lot of the customer journey up to either chance because they just throw people onto a broadcast list and hope that they buy more things because you're selling something every day or they bombard them with offers right out of the gate to try to maximize the amount of money that they make from that customer. Those are the two most yep. common, I'm doing this in quotes, customer journeys that I see in our industry here. The problem with both of them is they're not conducive, A, to a good relationship with the customer, or B, this is what the data shows, to you making more money as a seller. And this is what I have seen that is a big eye-opening revelation to many of the businesses that I work with. Because we're often taught, right, sell every day, right? CTAs in every email. The more emails I send, the more money I make. And that is true to a certain extent, but there's a bit of a balancing act when it comes to creating a customer journey that is optimized for both customer experience and making money. And if you do it right, those two things actually go hand in hand. But most of us take the approach of, 
I need to, I need to sell to make sales a little bit too far to the extreme. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. this is a very common thing that I see. Let's say I'm selling a supplement offer and I acquire a customer. By the time it's two or three days later, they're already receiving other offers from me that I'm cross-selling, but they haven't even gotten the supplement in the mail yet. The fulfillment time is, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah. why would that person be ready to buy something else from you if they don't even know that the thing that they just bought actually works, right? So while I understand the idea behind it of like, I need to sell, of course you do. At the same time, the customer makes their impression on what type of business you are within the first 24 to 48 hours after they buy from you. And if that period of time is filled with you trying to extract more money from them before they even experienced value from you, you're not getting the relationship off to a good start. And if you don't get the relationship off to a good start, the likelihood of them buying something else from you just plummets. And this is what I've seen. Many businesses have returning customer rates, which I refer to as KPI three, we'll talk about that in a second, that are under 5%. And what this means is for every 100 customers they acquire, less than five of those customers ever buy something else from them in the future. With numbers like that, you will find it very hard to scale. You'll find it very hard to be able to spend more to acquire your customers because the LTV growth on the back end is very small. So what we have to do is we have to strike the balance of creating a fantastic customer experience and selling appropriately. And if you do that, you can create what I call a golden customer journey. It's based off the idea of the golden rule, which is treating your customers the way that you want to be treated. Most of us think that we want to do that, but if we go through our own customer journey and walk in the customer's shoes, we realize that that's not quite the experience that we're delivering, right? I'm still waiting for the product in the mail. And I've already gotten three emails convincing me to buy some other supplement. And I don't even know if the one that I just bought is actually going to work for me yet. So the golden journey is based on the premise that we don't earn the right to sell until we've delivered on our promise of the thing that we sold on the front end. So the customer needs to experience the value that we promised before we can start selling them on other things. For every product, this length of time is going to be different. It's based on this metric called time to value. How long does it take for a customer to experience value from the thing that you've just bought? Once mm. you hit that time to value point, for example, if it's a supplement, maybe it takes them about a few days or a week to experience the benefits. That's when we're able to make that transition to starting to sell other things. Right. If we can be a little bit more Which patient. Where that might be two weeks plus right. after they bought because of fulfillment times, right? So it might be yeah, two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Maybe you have a course, for example, that you're selling that people need to get through the first 30 days before they really experience the value that you promised on the front end. So whatever that number is for you, we need to spend the first part of that journey and I'll, I'll save more detail for, for a second. Um, the first part of that journey, encouraging the consumption of the product so that they can experience the value. Once they've experienced the value, now we can make a smooth transition into selling highly complimentary things that provide a logical next step for them. I love that because, yeah, because I imagine the friction that you hear from that. And I'm curious too, have you had any like death threats from email list managers after you talk about this? But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, 
I've just spent so much money to acquire this customer, right? Maybe I was close to break even with that. Like I need to recoup something back soon. So I'm just going to hammer them and hope they buy something in the next week or two. So I'm, then my cash flow is positive quickly. Right. So is, is your argument that you'll actually be further ahead faster because you'll have a higher percent of people actually taking an offer if you add a lot of value in those initial emails and then get a rebuy, you know, day 10 to 14 kind of thing, or, you know, whatever time frame makes sense for your business. Ultimately, it's just short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. If you mm -hmm. are the type of, of business who's operating under the assumption that if I sell immediately and often, that's how I'm going to make the most money. Well, then I could just show you the laundry list of businesses where I've shown them the data on that. And they have the wake up call realization that they're not making nearly as much money from those first several days of the journey as they thought. And if I told gotcha. you okay. that you only have a small percentage of your customers who even buy from you during that time, it's very easy for me to say, would you be open to a different strategy? Because there's not actually much to lose here. It's a lot, it's a lot less than most people think. Oftentimes, because uh, guess what? They don't have okay. the tracking or the visibility to know what the impact is of those back-end sales. They're so fixated on AOVs in the front end that they don't take the time to figure out, well, how much money have I made by day seven of the customer journey after I just bombarded them for seven days with these back-end offers? And if they realize that it only added $2 to the customer lifetime value, and I was giving them a strategy that, yeah, maybe you're going to have to wait 21 to 30 days to see the impact. But at the end of those 30 days, you're going to be adding $10 to the customer lifetime value or more. Which would you rather do? Ultimately, my, my theory and what I've seen in practice is that it's actually better for both parties, the customer and the business, if you do things this way. You make more money as a business by caring more about the customer experience. What? That's crazy, Tyler. I know. Crazy, yeah. crazy. <laughs> and there's just, there's just a strategy yeah. around how you do that appropriately. And then you can still get what you want as the business owner, which is I need to recoup the cost. I need to make more money. Of course you do. But if your goal is to make as much money as possible, you should do it the way that I'm describing. And guess what? The customer is going to be happier as a result. That's the secret. We just need to talk about how to do that the right way. I love it. I, I think if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, right? Like Google, <laughs> a lot of the gripes that the, us marketers have with Google is that they want a good customer experience, a good user experience for the users on there, which might mean that they don't want shady backlinks to drive search rankings up for sites that don't earn it, right? Or they would might they want a good, clean customer experience if someone clicks to run an ad, but we want to be really aggressive with ads we're running kind of thing. If you look at how the big companies operate in our space, they're focusing on user value, right? And how do people keep coming back? Which again, you could argue that the users aren't actually the customers in Google or their product, but... Well, that's a different story. But. Right. Well, <laughs> but how, yeah. Just to add to that, a big reason why this is more necessary than ever is it's getting more and more expensive to acquire customers just in general, mm -hmm. right? Whether you're advertising on platforms like Facebook or you're running affiliate traffic, people want higher payouts and the ad platforms want more of your money to get the same end result because there's more competition and there's other factors at play as well. So the days of making a really high ROI from day one are few and far between at this point. If you can pull that off. Yeah, until you tap into the next TikTok, right? Absolutely. Some organic exposure, so, right? But yeah, it's, if you're paying to play, you're going to pay Absolutely. So if you can margin. pull that off, awesome. But the businesses that are scaling the furthest 
are the ones who are willing to lose the most to acquire the customer because they're spending such a high dollar amount that they're actually losing money on the front end. But they're only able to do that because they have the back end to make it up and they have the visibility to know how long it takes them to make it up so they can do it with confidence. And that's one of the biggest things that stands in the way of many businesses in, in our world is if you don't have visibility, then it's hard to focus and justify improving something. Because if I can't see what my seven day LTV is yeah. or my 14 day LTV, it's hard for me to feel good about putting time, energy and resources into improving it. Because even if I put that effort in, yeah, it's what gets exactly. measured gets managed, right? Yeah, and so you can't measure LTV it. is notoriously yeah, difficult. It gets ignored, which is like conversion rate is the king for most people. They go, oh, we just need a better conversion rate, which, yes, you probably do need a better conversion rate, but there's only incremental gains at a certain point on conversion rate when you could be having right. bigger gains elsewhere. Going back to the, you know, what lever of the funnel do you need to pull at what given point? And that's the cool aspect of it. It's going to change and we're yeah, in the and business. I think not enough conversation is had around everything after customer acquisition. Because customer acquisition is the sexy yeah. thing that we always want the latest tactic on how to increase, right? We want more customers, more customers, more customers. Of course you do. But you want more customers going into a good customer experience that is conducive to you generating profit as a business. You don't want more customers just for the sake of more customers. You want it because of the promise of future earnings. And that's really why we're doing this. So I will make the case all day that if you can acquire 20% fewer customers, but have a backend that increases the LTV by more than 20%, then you should do that all day because your top line revenue might come down a little bit, but your profit as a, as a whole is going to go up. And profit should be the thing that we're a little bit more optimized for as we're scaling up. Otherwise, you're going to hit the scale ceilings. So we got to have healthy profit margins and we do that through the back end, not through just optimizing the AOV. Because the back end is where you can really move the needle. Take a $200 AOV to a $250 LTV. You're going to have a hard time increasing your AOV to $250 if you're sitting at 200 right now. But you can make some big moves to get your yeah. LTV to 250 So let's focus there because that will create leverage for the front end. But you got to have the visibility. Yeah, Otherwise, it's going to be difficult to justify because you're not going to be able to see the impact. <laughs> yep. So what, like when you look at the, the KPI three metric that you talk about, like what are people, what do they have to do initially when they go, okay, yeah, Tyler, this makes sense. My email list is a, no, my customer journey is, doesn't exist right now. It's just this blast thing you're talking about, right? I'm just hammering over the head to make commissions and money on day zero or one. Like what's that first step they kind of need to take to start crafting that customer First journey? step is to create a really good backend offer. Okay. We put so much time and attention into the offer that we make on the front end and Right. This That's isn't right. an upsell, right? This isn't an upsell on that same journey. It's post-purchase, all the upsells. That's right. When I say okay. back-end, I mean after they've gone through the initial funnel and now we're days later, right? After the initial purchase. If you can put as much time and attention into creating a killer back-end offer as you do with your front-end offer, this will be, in my opinion, the single highest leverage move you can make. Because 
our goal as a business, if we're trying to build a highly profitable and scalable operation, needs to be to get the second purchase. The second purchase is the unlock step for the customer relationship. If you don't get to the second purchase okay. and you don't do so relatively quickly, the probability that you're going to get that second purchase in the future goes down dramatically if it doesn't happen within the first 60 days. Okay. This is what the data shows. Okay. 60 days. So yep. if you're not making a second, per if you're, the customer is not making a second purchase from you in the first 60 days, the likelihood that they're going to buy from you again drops down into the single digits. Okay. And you're just hoping and praying that they do. But guess what? If it's 120 or 180 days later, that doesn't even actually matter from a profitability and a LTV standpoint, because it's too far out into the future to affect your ability to mm. spend more to acquire those customers. Because the cash oh, flow the cash point, flow point right? is just if all of my back end sales take yeah. six months to happen, then that's not really going to help me spend more on the acquisition side. Because unless you have huge cash reserves, you're not going to be able to float six months in the red to be able to finally turn a profit, right? So we really need to focus on the first 60 days of the customer journey and having the customer make that second purchase. Okay, so if that's the premise, KPI three, which is gonna become your new favorite metric, aside from LTV, is what percentage <laughs> of my new customers buy from me again within the first 60 days, okay? So if I have 100 new customers I acquire, what percentage of those 100 make another purchase from me within the first 60 days? We want that number to be okay. 15 to 25% or more, but 15 to 25% I have found to be somewhat of a minimum threshold to really make the LTV growth substantial, All right? And you were saying the industry average is less than five? Most, most businesses are 5% or less, yes. Wow, okay, so 15 to 25% is where you start to see. And this yeah. is why mm -hmm. I say, hey, look, you're, KPI three, your returning customer rate in the first 60 days is 4%. If I could show you a strategy to get that to 20%, but you're going to have to wait 30 days. Are you okay with that? That's really the conversation I'm trying to have. You should say 100% yes, because that's what's going to be required to raise your scale ceiling and allow you to meaningfully spend more to acquire customers. Okay. What's going to pull that off for you is having a good second offer. Most businesses take the shotgun approach, right? I got the customer, let's say they mm -hmm. bought a greens powder. Now I'm gonna shotgun them with a, you know, a blood sugar offer or a diabetes offer or a back pain offer. And it's like, yes, these are loosely related, but it's not a logical progression from the first offer. You're just hoping that if I put enough things in front of them, it's going to hit for different groups of people and it will all add up to be impactful, right? Mm, but if you yep, actually take yep. the time to sit down and go, okay, someone just bought a greens powder. What were the benefits that I was promising for that greens powder? Whatever your angle is. It's all about, let's say, increasing testosterone. And that's the main angle that you're going for. Well, instead of bombarding them with a bunch of arbitrary health offers, maybe let's talk about a second offer that will boost their testosterone even more and make the greens powder twice as effective. And I don't know what that is for you, but if you can put together an offer where the framing of it is, hey, people who buy the greens powder are getting this result. If you wanna make that result even better, 
even more substantial, happen even faster, be even more powerful. Here's the perfect thing to stack on top of that to give you the most benefit. That is the framing that we need around that second offer. And then the way it needs to be presented, think about the fact that you've already paid to acquire the customer. You've already paid to acquire the customer. Because of that, you can really make this a killer value for the customer. Because we know that if we can get them to make the second purchase, the likelihood of them making a third and a fourth and a fifth goes through the roof. And if they don't make the second purchase, the likelihood of them ever making a second purchase goes down to the ground. So I should do everything in my power to make this second offer as much of a no-brainer as possible. Because I already paid to acquire the customer and I don't need to pay again, let me eat into my margin a little bit to get this sale. Let me take something that, for example, my margins on it are 60%. Let me bring that down to 40% if you're selling physical goods because it will make it such a great value for the customer. And maybe this is a bundle of a few different products, or maybe, maybe it's a multi-bottle package of a highly complimentary offer. And we're also going to throw in a masterclass video series. We're going to throw in a PDF guide on how to get the best results while you're traveling. Think about from the ground up what will make this a killer offer, just like you would for your front end. Put that in front of the customer at the appropriate time once they've experienced value from the front end product and now make this as much of a no-brainer for them to take that next step as possible. And if you get that part right, the transition from front end offer to second offer, that's what's going to unlock the LTV growth in your business. Because now you have a clear customer gotcha. journey that is strategic and repeatable. And remember this phrase, random is not repeatable. Throwing them onto a broadcast <laughs> list and sending random offers at random times is not something that you can trust day to day, week to week, month to month. Every customer has a different experience. Therefore, every customer has a different journey. Therefore, every customer has a different LTV trajectory, right? Yeah, I guess depending on when they're hitting that list, right? It's just whatever your offer you're flooding them on that week or that day kind of thing. So yeah, they're living in it. So you're talking about, I'm a customer, I buy today. I get an onboarding email, a welcome email, whatever that might be. Next day, might be more information, might be more information, might be information for a while until I'm committed and seeing results. And then I'm getting pitched this next offer that's going to make the first one even that's better right. based on what I came right. on. And I can, if you want, I can go mm -hmm. into more detail on the different milestones of that journey if you want to nerd out on that. But that's the macro level structure is support them as much as you can until they experience value then you earn the right to make the second offer that's going to build on the value of the first. Mm. Do you, do you ever get pushback on people like, Oh, I don't want to train like discount shoppers or buyers. Like what those like discounted backend offers. I do, but ultimately it's all in the framing. You can, if you mm. want, you can frame it like this is 40% off normal price. You could do that. But you don't have to, no one says you have to frame it that way at all. I think more from the standpoint oh, right. of, yeah. think about stacking as much value as possible as opposed to getting the price as low as possible. So for example, there's a big difference in framing. Let's say I'm selling a bundle of three uh, units of, of something, right? There's a difference in framing that as normally this would cost, let's say $100 and we're selling it for 50 
it's 50% off. There's a difference in doing that and saying that we're going to give you these three bottles. You're going to pay $67 because these bottles cost $33 each, but we're going to throw in a free bottle of this because we want you to try it. And we know it's going to help you build on the benefits, blah, blah, blah. That's not a discount. That's a special incentive to get them to pay full price for these other two things, right? It's not discount shopping. And your goal as a business is to get as many things into their hands as possible that will deliver value so they can associate that value with your business and your brand. And if you can pair that, so not discount framing, but value framing, right? Generosity framing with also stacking other pieces of value that are free to you that you can just say we're throwing these in because we want you to get benefit ABC. For example, like a masterclass video series on how to increase your testosterone with all of the other things going on in your life, right? Or this is the the -the on-the-go guide for how to still get testosterone boosting benefits even when you're traveling. And it's a, you know, it's a five page ebook, right? You can throw these things in to overcome every single problem that the person is experiencing in their mind. And it's just pure value stacking. And it's not framed as a, this is 50% off the normal price or it's, you know, whatever. It's all based on just value stacking and then the generosity of giving them something to try because you genuinely care about them. All in the framing. Gotcha. No, great. Yeah, great distinguish there. Distinguish there. Thank you. Yeah, because um, a lot of people just assume price is the biggest thing to value stack with sometimes, which I just did. So, um, no, I'm curious. Yeah, like what in that? What I'd love to go into what you mentioned before. Some of those milestone moments, um, and then I know you've got like a freebie for some people to get, uh, kind of help them gauge where they're at in their own business and their ability to scale. So, um, yeah, what are those is kind of key points in that customer journey that you really help clients back Absolutely. into? So to figure this out for your business, there needs to be a clear line of demarcation around how long it takes the customer to experience value, right? I've talked about this time to value a few times already. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is for your business. If you're a supplement, it might take a couple of weeks for them to really feel the benefits of that supplement. Maybe it only takes one day. I don't know. So you need to know what that is for your business. Get that number uh, nailed down, right? Is it 14 days? Is it 21 days? Is it 30 days? Because that's going to determine how you structure this journey. Okay. The journey has two phases. There's everything before the time to value and there's everything after. Before the time to value, let's just use the the fact that it's two weeks. Okay. In, In this example. So I have a 14 day time to value. That's when people really start to experience the benefits that were promised. Leading up to day 14, here are the the key milestones. Milestone number one, reinforce the purchase and set clear expectations around what's going to happen next, both in terms of when they're going to get the product, if it requires delivery, and also in terms of your communication with them moving forward. Not enough businesses do this. Hey, thank you so much for buying this. You're going to have it at your door within three to five days. In the meantime, Expect to hear from me every two days as I let you know some of the value that you can expect to experience and to tell you a little bit more about the company and who we are and why we do this, right? Lay out that expectation so they know when they're going to hear from you, how often, when they're going to get their thing. Then explicitly let them know 
that your goal is to deliver on the promise that you made to them when they bought the product. Not enough businesses do this. Just let them know that, hey, we're actually here because we care about you. We want to make sure that you get all the benefits that were promised to you. And here's how we're going to do this. By letting you know how you can get the most out of the product, by following up with you, by contacting our customer support team if you need to. All right, we're here for you. Number three, sharing why your company and product actually exist. Give them a reason to care. Give them a hook into your company that's memorable. For example, do you do this because you care so much about men's health because you lost your father way too soon? Right? Let them know that. Okay? Give them a reason to care. Number four, sharing testimonials that create excitement and highlight the benefits of the product. We want them to be excited for all of the great things that are going to happen to them, especially if they're waiting for it to arrive. Let's build some excitement around that moment when it finally arrives on their doorstep and they're going to start to experience these benefits. Next is something that I think is probably the biggest thing that gets missed in this whole journey, which is sharing detailed best practices on how to get the most out of the product. And this is not a single email with three tips on how to get the most out of the product. Okay, What I'm finding to work way better is give them a link to a two-minute video that shows them how to take the product out of the box if it's a physical product, where to put it in their house, how to set an alarm on their phone to remind them every day to take it, a printout that they can put on their fridge. So every time they open their fridge, they look at it, especially if you serve an older demographic. This is the level that I'm talking about. It's not just three bullet points in an email. Give them something that is clear, actionable, easy to consume. Videos work really well here because now you can just send out a handful of emails that say, hey, I wanted to make sure you saw this 60-second video that I put together for you to give you exactly what you can expect when the product arrives and how to get the most out of it, right? Way more compelling than read these three bullet points. So take that part very seriously, especially if you have a product that requires consumption on an ongoing basis. Yeah, I love that. Very important. Mm -hmm. Next, help them rec recognize the benefits as they experience them. If you have a product that has a wide range of potential benefits, don't expect that they're going to associate all those things with you and your product, and they're going to remember what they are. If your main promise was increased testosterone, ask them if they feel like they're being more productive during the day, if they're getting more done at work, if they're having better conversations with their partner at home, if they're having more energy when they're playing with their kids. Point all of these things out that might be on the periphery of the value that you provide, but give them ways to associate good things happening in their life with you. Okay? Point those things out. Make sure that they're very clear. Then the last piece is to create accountability through a community, if you have one, like a Facebook group or, or something along those lines, and providing them opportunities to ask for help and receive it in a, in a timely manner. You lay all these things out and you get this incredible customer journey that starts with clear expectations and ends with them feeling supported and recognizing great benefits as they get the most out of your product. That is the journey from day zero, the day that they buy, up until whatever your time to value point is. Okay, let's call it day 14, mm, day 21. However yeah. many emails that is to you, totally up to you. You want to go every day, you want to go every two days. That doesn't matter nearly as much because you're going to set clear expectations in the beginning and do whatever you need to do to deliver the message that you want. So that's phase one of the that. golden journey up until time to value. That was great. Thank you. And I think what you're alluding to is something that a lot of marketers forget, which is 
the sale is not closed, even though they've purchased with their credit card. Right. right? It's like they, like the, we look at the data on like average refund timeframes, right? And the biggest refund timeframe is like day zero to seven, <laughs> right? And that's like, that's when people are like, they're not sure if they bought the right thing. They start getting blasted by emails that you're talking yeah. about. They're right. They kind of, the seed of doubt creeps in and gets germinated. So if you can be doubling down on the close, which is, again, is adding value, like you just described through there, not only are you ideally seeing a bigger KPI three, a bigger return buyer percentage, but also a lower refund percentage for all these buyers coming through and you're having like a double whammy on profit, right? Where you're keeping more of your money, keeping more of the customers and then doubling down on more sales to more of your customers. Such a great point. The, one of the most short-term benefits that I see of implementing phase one of the golden journey is a decrease in refund rate. Because yeah, yeah, I can imagine just describing right. that. I've been through a lot of our clients' refund or customer journeys. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know where I can get the product or what I should expect next. It's just a flood of things all of a exactly, sudden. Exactly, because so, as yeah. as a business, you've already moved on to trying to get them to spend more money with you, and you haven't earned that right yet. I mm-hmm. I really I want to yeah. say it again. The customer makes their impression and decides if they're ever going to buy from you again within the first twenty four hours of buying your product. Mm. In almost every case, they will not have experienced the value that you promised within those first 24 hours. So you need to do what you can to bring value into the first 24 hours. And that can be as simple as letting them know that you intend to deliver on your promise. It can be that simple. Right. Doubling. Yeah. I I think you could look back at any purchase you've made, right? And go, what was I immediately feeling after that? Probably some excitement, but also probably some doubt. And I hope this was the right decision. And ooh, that was expensive. Uh, yeah, right. There's all these like all those little voices that you can be speaking to in this follow up. That's campaign. right. And when your head is in that space, coming back to the whole walking your customers' shoes thing, if you're in that, was this the right purchase? That was kind of expensive. All those things, and you're getting bombarded with other things to buy. It just it doesn't feel right. You know it doesn't feel yeah, yeah. right, but we do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> feel a bit used. Yep, 100%. Well, this has been great, Tyler. Thank you for walking us through all this. Um, I think you mentioned when we were on the pre-recording that you had some assets that people can get from you that can kind of help identify where they're at. Yes, absolutely. I think if there was one underlying theme that is kind of sort of a prerequisite for everything that we talked about today, it's data visibility, right? If you can't actually see any of the LTV metrics that we discussed today, then you can't measure it, you can't manage it, you can't optimize it, and it becomes very difficult to do anything that we discussed because you're essentially flying blind when it comes to some of these customer journey metrics around LTV and around KPI3. So I've put together what we call our scale-ready scorecard. And this is a scorecard that ranks what your data visibility is on a scale of one to 10 based on what we have found to be the most impactful metrics to be able to get clear visibility and give you the data foundation that you need to analyze everything that we talked about today from a customer journey standpoint. So it's looking at your, for example, your returning customer rates, your KPI three, your LTV at day zero, 30, 60, 90 for each product. It's going deep on all those things and seeing how your data stacks up. The higher you score on this, the higher your scale ceiling. And if you score low, It means you have tremendous opportunity that will be unlocked by getting deeper levels of data visibility and giving you more insight into what happens after the customer is acquired. It also has a customer journey mapper inside of it that breaks down the six key components of a good customer journey to give you the opportunity to 
map out the journey that currently exists in your business and rework it to be a better experience for the customer. And ultimately, I hope I've made the case to craft a customer journey that will actually make you more money as a business owner by crafting a better customer experience. And that's what the customer journey mapper is all about. And it also goes into more detail about all these metrics and why they matter so much. So if you're interested in the Scale Ready Scorecard, you can go to tryltv.com slash SRS. SRS for Scale Ready Scorecard. Tryltv.com .com slash SRS. Yep. Awesome. And Thank if you. you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tyler underscore LTV numbers, or you can just email me directly at Tyler at LTV numbers.com. Happy to help with the data as much as I can. I love it. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. And I'll plug it to you. You're also on our experts program. So thank you for joining that. So if you go to clickbank.com slash experts, you can find Tyler's profile there and all the links to ltvnumbers.com and all that good stuff too. If I'm going to contact to, with him through ClickBank. Um, and of course, we're always happy to make introductions. If you reach out to Kyle, who's not here today or myself, um, you also out, reach out to affiliated at clickbank.com. That's an email address that I remember to check sometimes weekly. Um, yeah, so <laughs> usually get back to people within a week or so on that one, but affiliated at clickbank.com. And please don't forget to like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff with the podcast and really do. This will not be the first, last time you hear from Tyler Ryan on ClickBank. I'm sure of that. I've been a big fan of what you've been doing, man, Thanks so much. Um, over the years and excited to send more people your way and get more people using you because it really is transformative when people start looking at this data accurately and not just guessing at what they're doing. And yeah, the stability it brings to their businesses is pretty incredible. And the scale that comes from it is great for everybody. It's a triple win. Like I like Absolutely. It, so. And if you want to snap your fingers and get instant visibility to everything that we talked about today, that's exactly what LTV numbers does. So if you want to check out ltvnumbers.com and see more about the software and how it works, I've been working on this company for the last five years. And I think it's one of those transformative things where if you can get that in place, it makes everything that we talked about today immediately accessible to you. And that's a game changer for decision making in your business. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I love it. No, I don't love it. We hardly even talked about ltvnumbers.com um, and the, what the software actually does for people. But I think y'all heard from Tyler how passionate and knowledgeable he is about this and how much value he brings to people, which we love the consultative selling approach, man. So that's what we do here, too. So the more we can do that, the more we can rise the tide. And I trust that people find you and LTV numbers and build a better business. Absolutely. For it. Being more data-driven can be one of the most transformative things that you can do. It just starts with having the right data and knowing how to use it. And that's my goal is to help people do that. I dig it. We'll go check it out. Again, let's try ltv.com slash SRS for that scorecard, ltvnumbers.com to find Ryan or Tyler Ryan, excuse me. And then check out uh, clickbank.com slash experts to find Tyler John Ryan there over there. <laughs> First name. Well, thanks so much, Thomas. This awesome. was awesome. Thank you, Tyler. You know, thanks for joining us and happy scaling, everybody. Right. See ya.